not distant and impersonal and cold, that God is not a long way off. God is in our region. And as we pray, Father, who art in the heavens, that sort of realization of his nearness moves us into a hallowed be thy name. The Jews were really good at this in their history. The Psalms is, is this book, this liturgical book of praise that the Jews had memorized, that the Jews prayed. They'd sing when they came to the temple. They'd worship. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Psalms, as they walked up to Jerusalem, the pilgrim songs, I lift my eyes to the hills as they're walking up to Jerusalem. They're making pilgrimage. They're ascending the hill of the Lord. These Jews practiced these prayers and they sang them and they hallowed his name ritualistically. This was a part of their worship. Psalm 95, they would, they would have said, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the King. He's the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to Him. Pikes Peak, we look out there. Psalm 95, they say that God holds that in His hand and it's not a big deal. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We just sang it this morning, Psalm 103. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits who forgives all of our sins and heals all our diseases, who redeems our lives from destruction, who crowns us with his loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies our mouths with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God for his mercy endures forever. This is what the Jews did habitually. This was their life of worship, hallowing his name. Jesus says when you come, you're praying to the Father and he's near you and hallow his name. Be a people that hallow the Father's name. What would this city look like if we were more and more a people that hallowed his name? What would your workplace look like if you took this seriously, hallowing his name on a consistent basis, being a people? What would your dinner table look like? What would the drive to drop the kids off at school look like? Lillian and I do this every morning. My daughter, she's five. She's our oldest. We have three. And every, every morning I drive her in because it's on my way to work. And we talk and we tell stories. And what do you have today? Oh, I have PE. Oh, I have music. I have Spanish and we're, all that. But then right when we get to the last stoplight, I say... This then is how he taught us to pray. And she goes, our Father, and we pray it together. We, I want Lillian and Wilson and Wakely to know that we are a people that are called to hallow his name. We're a people called to worship our God and to talk to him about his greatness and to extol him. This is what, what it says in Revelation 5. That the elders and the angels and the four living creatures are right now, don't look now, but it's happening gathered around the throne, throwing down their crowns and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. 
You alone are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because with your blood you purchased men for God. You're worthy, God. How would be thy name? There's no one like you. Not in heaven, not on earth, not under the earth. You alone are God. How would be thy name? Jesus taught us this. We're not making this stuff up. This is not a formula whereby we learn to manipulate God. This is the prayer that our Lord gave us. Father, in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. He moves on to the next statement. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use your imagination with me this morning. To pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want to suggest is to pray that prayer with a rope in your hand. We know that God is going to do something in the great future. We know that God is going to come and redeem. We know that God is going to restore. We, got, we know that God, you guys are pastored by Glenn Packham. If anyone knows that God is coming to set all things new, it's you. We know what he's going to do on that great day. But to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right now, is to pray that prayer with a rope in our hand. And to do everything that we can to pull that glorious future, that beautiful and bright and glorious future into the very inglorious now. Let your kingdom come, God. Let your will be done on earth right now in our space and time as it is in heaven. Bring it forward into the present. God doesn't sprinkle his salvation and his goodness and his newness like fairy dust on us is what we believe in Christian theology. We believe that we as agents, as image bearers, actually cooperate with God. That we participate in the bringing of his kingdom. And so as we pray, let your kingdom come, we pray it with a rope and we do everything we can to try to pull that story that is going to be that story on that day into this day. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we have a clue as to what he will do in the end, we can head him off at the pass. We can start now. Theologians call this realized eschatology. That, that, don't let that, that's not a big deal. Realized eschatology. Eschatology is the study of what will be done in the end. What's, going, what's the end going to look like? Theologians say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the process of realizing what's going to happen in the end right now. Realized eschatology. We get to be his agents. We get to be the one who call forth into the present, who play and pray and display his will in the present right now. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think about it this way. I want to live in such a way right now that when Jesus comes back on that day and splits the eastern sky on a white horse with eyes that burn like fire and voice like the sound of many rushing waters, what's that going to be like? I can't, I can't even imagine. But when that day happens, I want to live my life right now so that when Jesus comes back, he has less work to do then. 
so that when Jesus comes back, he has less work to do then. We can restore. What we believe is that we can actually cooperate with God on the front end and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What if we became a people who tried to live in such a way so as when Jesus came back, he had less work to do. Clearly, he's going to have to make it all right. Clearly, all of this hinges on him. I'm not putting us in the position of Savior, not in the least. But we can do some stuff right here and right now. To pray this prayer is to pray with a rope in our hand, to pull it into the present. So help us, God. The next phrase that Jesus gives us, our Father who art in the heavens, praise your name. Holy are you. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here and right now on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day. Right now, our daily bread. If I'm being honest, this is, I hate this line. I hate that Jesus taught us to pray this way. Can I say that? It, should I be fired as a pastor for me to say that? Maybe. We'll talk. But I do. I hate it. I think it's my, it's my least favorite line for sure here and maybe in all of Scripture. Give us this day our daily bread. I want to stand before the Lord and say, give me this day my yearly bread. Give it to me on the front end, God. I'll be a good manager. I'll steward it. I just want, I, I want it now. I'll plan it out. I'll budget. I'll do the Dave Ramsey thing. I'll be wise. I'll give. I'll tithe. I'll, whatever. Just, but give it to me now. Give me this day my yearly bread, God, or at least my monthly bread. And Jesus says, no, no. If you're going to pray before your Father, if you're going to understand what it means to live in this kingdom, it is a give us this day our daily bread kind of prayer that we have to be honest about and put out there before him and live into. Give us this day our daily bread. He's hearkening them back. The Jews out on the plain that day listening to Jesus tell this prayer, the Jews would have understood right away what Jesus was getting at. He's hearkening back to the days walking through the wilderness. They were in Egypt for 440 years. They were slaves. It was terrible. Pharaoh was crushing them. More bricks, less straw. Terrible. Moses shows up. Let my people go. Heck no. Let my people go. Heck no. Ten times. And finally, Pharaoh gets desperate because he loses his firstborn son. Get out of here, he says. So they race to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, there's this cloud of dust behind them. And all, they hear the... the the horses and the chariots and all the army coming after them and they go, shoot, what are we going to do now? We thought God was delivering us. They get to the water, maybe two million of them, the Jews. Great, thanks God, appreciate that. It was better back there, at least we had something. Now you bring us out here in the wilderness to die. Moses lifts his staff, God gets them over. Pharaoh and his army get into the sea. God sends the water down on them. And they get across and they look back. I will sing unto the Lord for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. Woo! Thank God. And then they're in the desert. An 11-day journey takes them 40 years. And God provides them this thing. They, they went out one morning out of their tents and there was something on the ground. They said, what is it? Which is the word that we have for manna. Manna simply means, what is it? 
I would love to meet that brave soul that said, you know, ooh, tastes like quinoa. (laughs) And God provided for them daily bread, and he told them explicitly, look, go out and don't be stingy. Get just what your family needs, one day's serving. And go back to your tent. And if you get greedy and try to stockpile and save up and hedge your bets and and get in a position where you don't need me, it's going to rot. I am a God who will not let myself be found in a situation where I am not needed, is what he's saying to them. Go out, get what you need, get your daily bread, and go back into your tent. Did you have breakfast this morning? Good job. God provided. That's what Jesus is saying when he's teaching them this prayer. And I hate that. I have a little boy, Wilson. So Lillian's five, Wilson's three. Wakely, our other boy, is seven months old. And Wilson has kind of been, Lillian came out sleeping. Lillian Lillian at six weeks was sleeping 12 hours through the night. Angel, the heavens opened and the angels were ascending and descending on Lillian. Wilson, not so much. (laughs) He's three years old, and every morning, still at 4 a.m., we hear our door crack. He jumps up in our bed right between us. We had to get a bigger bed just because this became a routine. Wilson crawls up in between us at 4 o'clock or 3.30, and about 5.30, I get right on my head. And this is what he says every day. Can we go downstairs? What he's saying when he says, can we go downstairs, is, will you go feed me? My stomach is empty. My belly is not full. Jesus taught us to pray. Dad, can we go downstairs? Will you feed me this morning? I'm hungry. I need you. I'm glad that Wilson doesn't come to me once a month on the first day of the month and say, give me what I need for this month. Because if he were to say that, he doesn't need me. He just needs me to give him something, but he doesn't need me. And I don't ever want to be a parent that doesn't need to be needed. How do you think the father feels? Give us this day our daily bread, because that means we have to look you in the face today. We have to need you today. You have to be ours today. God will never let himself get in a position where he is not needed. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is where we arrive next. Father, You're in heaven, you're available, you're accessible. Holy is your name, you're so great. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to work with that. And give us this day our daily, even though I hate saying it, 
teach us to get okay with saying, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The English word that I grew up learning in this prayer was forgive us of our sins, and it certainly does mean that, but that word rendered sin there is not complete. It's not just enough to say forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Again, the Jews would have known immediately what Jesus was saying that day. He's taking them back to Leviticus 25, the story of the Day of Atonement, the year of Jubilee. Every every 50 years in ancient Israel, what they did was, if I had been bad and I had been unwise with my financial dealings, and I had lost the land that my great-grandfather gave me, every 50 years, the land resets. Forgive us of our debts. Because if I own that land and I go into a bad way, I've got to feed my kids. So I sell my land to Gary because Gary's been wise with his money. At the end of that 50 years, Gary gives it back to me. He gets me out of my issue. He gets me out of my trouble. But God said, I am not going to let shame hang over your head for the rest of your life. You may have sinned, you may have missed it, you may have not managed your money wisely or whatever. Okay, that's fine. But every 50 years, jubilee. It resets. It starts over. On the Day of Atonement, someone would come into the temple with a trumpet on the the 10th day of the 7th month and blow it. And what they said was when they blew the trumpet, this is a new year. Isaiah 61, Isaiah says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord God is upon you because He's anointed you to preach good news to who? The poor. He sent you to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives. And then He says this, To announce the acceptable year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. These Israelites knew what they were doing. Forgive us of our debts as we learn to forgive those who owe us something, our debtors. One of my favorite writers, preachers, theologians is a guy named Thomas Long. And he says this, essentially, that if Jesus doesn't scare you at times, if Jesus doesn't upset you at times, if Jesus doesn't make you angry at times, you are probably worshiping a very thin caricature of the real one. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debt. No way. I'll, I'll say I forgive you of your sins, but no. You still owe me. Jesus shows up in Matthew 18 and tells the parable of this king who was owed tens of millions of dollars from one really dumb servant. And he says, I'm angry. Give me my money. You've been, you've been milking me for way too long. Give me my tens of millions of dollars. And he says, Master, please have mercy on me. If you throw me in jail, I can't work and I can't pay you back. So please, just let me, give me another year. And he says, I'm having a good day. Let's act like it didn't even happen. And that same guy who was forgiven tens of millions of dollars walks out and has a guy who owes him $100. And he says, you idiot, give me my money right now. I don't have it, sir. Please have mercy. The same prayer that he prayed to the king. Have mercy. I'll work. I'll get it back to you. But if I go into jail, I can't work. And he says, take him off to jail. And Jesus says, you are in that boat. Someone owes you a hundred bucks. 
I have forgiven you tens of millions of dollars. I have forgiven you a debt that you would never be able to repay. And off you go, sticking it to someone for $100. And he ends that story by saying, if you do not forgive men their debts, neither will your father forgive you. I don't like when I hear that. And we're left to face that. We're left to look Jesus in the eyes and deal with that kind of statement. Forgive us of our debts as we learn to forgive our debtors. God, have mercy on us and teach us how to have mercy on those who owe us. Jesus hanging on the cross was our great example. Father, taking his last breaths, whipped 39 times, stuck in the side with a spear, crown of thorns, nails in the hands and feet, shamed, ripped his beard out, naked in front of people, And what does he say as he's dying with his last breath? Not, Father, get him real good. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, have mercy. Father, into your hands, I'm committing my spirit to you. I'm not not at risk because of them. God, be good to them. They don't know what's going on. Jesus teaches us to live Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And feed us today, God. Can we go downstairs? Forgive us of our sins because our debts, you know we can't do this, God. And teach us how to forgive those that owe us something. And lead us not into temptation. God, be ever mindful that we're weak. God, don't lead us into a situation where we're going to get stuck behind the eight ball. God, know how frail we are. God, please, lead us not into temptation. Don't put us in a situation where we're just going to be destined to stumble. Dallas Willard, in his great book, The Divine Conspiracy, says this. This request that we're talking about, lead us not into temptation, is not just for evasion of pain or of other things we don't like, though it frankly is that. This expression expresses the understanding that we can't stand up under very much pressure and that it is not a very good thing for us to suffer. God, lead us not into temptation. And Paul understands this and shows up in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says this, look, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Paul levels the playing field here and says there's not people who are exceptionally tempted and there's not people who have it real easy. He's saying no temptation has come your way except what is common to all of us. And God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Instead, in your temptation, he will provide a way of escape for you. Paul knows that our Father is not one who's looking to put a tripwire in our way to trip us up into sin. God is not a bad father. God has never once thought ill of us. God has never tried to make us stumble into sin or tried to make us earn our salvation or whatever. God is a good father. I would never try to set Lillian up or Wilson or Wakely to put them in a situation where they're bound to fail. 
And I'm an imperfect earthly father, says Jesus. And if you wouldn't do that to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven not lead you into temptation? He will deliver you from evil, says Jesus. But he wants us to pray it. He wants us to ask, Father, please don't lead us into temptation. You know that we're weak. Help us. Give us strength. This prayer is the prayer that Jesus gave us. This prayer provides us lanes to run in. This prayer teaches us the way forward. Master, teach us how to pray. Okay, you want to know how to pray? Here you go. Our Father. This prayer is like a funnel that helps us slide ever deeper into the wisdom and the knowledge and the love and the security of God. Think about just... This prayer sucks us into the orbit of His love and His faithfulness. This orbit is a downward slide into security in Him. This prayer is an invitation. And I want to invite you today by the authority of Jesus. This is Jesus' invitation. I want to invite you today into a life of prayer that may look a little bit different than what you've known. Praise God for that. This is a prayer of invitation, not a one-month crash course whereby we learn to no longer need God. Remember, we will never be allowed to be in a situation where we no longer need Him. This prayer is a prayer that teaches us to get okay with being needy before Him. This kind of prayer speech is a means of engagement, not a means of mastery. The Lord's Prayer is not given to us so that we can master God and nail Him down and have Him in the corner. Okay, God, I know the right words. Give me what I need. This is an invitation to be mastered by God. This is, a mean, this, is, this is God's invitation to get okay and settle in, to be invited into this mysterious faith journey with Him and learn to do it by faith. Is this prayer, we have to ask ourselves, is this prayer a tool for getting from God what we want? Or is this prayer a tool the means that God uses to get from us what He wants. I would suggest to you that the Lord's Prayer is a way of making us whole human beings. Children who learn to trust the Father who's in heaven, who's available. Children who learn to hallow His name and tell Him how great He is and, and ask Him to bring His kingdom on earth and let us participate in whatever way we can because you're the good Father and you've got the good story and you're bringing it to a good close, so help us cooperate with you on the way to that good close. Forgive us as we learn to forgive. Don't put us in a situation where we're bound to fail. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remember that I told you that to pray, let your kingdom come, is to pray with a rope in our hand. I've got an announcement to make this morning, and it's that God has his own rope in his own hand. And I think he uses this prayer as a tool to get a hold of us to bring us closer to Him, to bring us closer to faithful obedience, to draw us into His presence and into His way of life and into His kingdom. We learn how to cooperate with Him as we learn to pray this prayer.
We pray with a rope in our hand, but God has a much stronger and a much larger rope, and He knows how to use it, and He knows how to bring us to Himself. I invite you today to get this prayer in your bones. I invite you today to spend the rest of your life running on these tracks. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We have everything that we need to be faithful followers and covenanters with Jesus Christ within this prayer. So as we come to the close today, I want us to just gather our hearts before the Lord, silence ourselves if you need to put your Bible down or whatever, or just get in a place in a posture where you can quietly sit before the Lord. And I'm going to take us line by line and wait for a minute and maybe ask you a question in between each line and pray in between each line. And we're going to meditate our way through the Lord's Prayer and then come to the table. So let's gather our hearts here. Father, our Father, who is in the heavens where the birds fly in our space, teach us to trust you today. Teach us to believe that you are near, you're not far off. As we pray, may it be with the conviction that you're ever present in our time of trouble. Our Father in the heavens, your name is holy. Hallowed be thy name. Make us a hallowed be thy name, people. Turn this city on its head because of a hallowed be thy name, people. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Show us what it means to cooperate with you obediently. Do what only you can do, God. You're sovereign. You're in charge. You're in control. And because of that sovereignty, help us to respond with faithful cooperation. Show us what it means to pray this prayer with a rope in our hands. Give us today what we need for today. Teach us to get comfortable in that pace with you. Teach us to settle in to the dailiness of trusting you as children. Dad, would you take us downstairs? Help us, help us to get good at praying like that. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts. We're in need before you. We bring nothing to the table. We're in need of your salvation. We're in need of your new creation work on the inside of us. 
And as you do that work on the inside of us, would you teach us to extend that same kind of debt forgiveness to others who may owe us something? Forgive us as we learn to forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, don't put us in situations where we can't get out. In every temptation, show us the way of escape. You know our frame. You know that we're needy. You know that we're dependent on your protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And Father, we come together as a congregation and say, Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen.